Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I am here as always with my co-host Jillian Parker. Hey everyone! Hey Quinn! Hello Jillian, how are you? I'm exhausted, how are you? Same, and also like, maybe sick. Yeah, you don't sound too hot right now. Um... Uh, Yeah, for those at home, uh, I'm ill. But that's fine. It's, I'm not like, I think I ate something weird. We're fine. We're moving on. <laughs> We're thriving, as you might say. Oh, yes. I, I do use that expression quite a bit. Is it applicable to this week as it is all other weeks? <laughs> oh, yeah, probably. Actually, definitely. Actually, no, this week has been awful and I'm barely surviving, but it's fine. Whatever. I love you. I love you too. Send Jillian love on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting off, I'm just going to introduce our Twitter handles at the beginning of the episode instead of the end so that just pause this episode, or no, continue playing this episode. We have that technology and then send Jillian a nice gif and then come back. Yeah. And continue just consuming this content with the intensity and attention that I know you all give it because that's how people listen to podcasts. (laughs) Yeah. So Sean Spicer is also having, you know, quite the week. Um, He's been, he's obviously been in the news a lot lately and he serves as the White House press secretary. Um, And this week he actually resigned. Yeah. Can I say though, I feel like Sean Spicer of all the people in the world seems to be having like a bad week every week i feel like the past few months of news stories every time it has to do with sean spicer it's like he stole a mini fridge out of the junior staffer's office or he wore two different shoes to a meeting all this kind of stuff and it's just like what what are you doing spicy um and then but also oh my god while i was i was just like reading the New York Times um, and reading some stuff about what happened with this turnover. And it was just like a politics article um, talking about Spicer. And there was one line that was describing his behavior the other day. And he was like, um, he stood off to the side like a wedding planner who had been fired before the big event, but came anyway. (laughs) That is such... A specific description. <laughs> I'm not really sure I, I know, know what it means, but I really like it. I feel like I somehow know exactly what that means, even though I've never thought about that concept before. <laughs> but it was so funny because it was in the middle of his article that was just like describing events, and then suddenly it was now he's a wedding planner. <laughs> uh, I'd let him plan my wedding. Actually, probably not. But whatever. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn, you can plan my wedding. Yes. I'm going to make you a Pinterest board immediately. Oh my god, no. Ew, I hate Pinterest. (sighs) Okay, we can fight about that later. Anyway, so back to (laughs) Sean Spicer. So yeah, so Sean Spicer was a White House press secretary. He also served as the White House communications director. This is kind of confusing. So like sometimes he was communications director and sometimes he wasn't. And sometimes he was the acting communications director. Anyway, so he's just... Um, important in that space and then they just hired this new guy to be communications director and then Spicer was like I'm out and he is quitting 
But his replacement is Anthony Scaramucci, also known as the Mooch, according to his Wikipedia page. I see. I don't. Why? Why is he the Mooch? Someone please explain this to me. I wonder if he, like, how many people need to call you a certain nickname before it officially becomes a part of your description description on Wikipedia. Okay, really brief anecdote on this topic. Um, So I'm in the study abroad program. There are 15 of us here. And on like the third day, um, one of us looked at uh, someone else whose name is Nathan. And she looked at him and went, I have another friend named Nathan. We call him Toasty. I'm going to call you Toasty. And he went, okay. And it stuck. And now everyone calls him Toasty. (laughs) Yikes. Does he like it or is he kind of annoyed? I'd be annoyed. He's, he's, we've asked him and he's generally ambivalent. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, fair. But anyway, so I wonder, like, is this like a high school nickname that this person has? Did someone just decide that he should be called the Mooch someday? Or is this like a real thing? I could Google it. I'm gonna Google it. Yeah, unclear. But, <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, no, yeah, I really like him. He's Italian. He is from Long Island. He's actually, like, grew up a few towns over from me, which is just really cool. Um, he's also a Republican, obviously, but he worked on Wall Street, and so everyone knows how I love finance, so he's, he's basically my twin. I have a question. Why was something Italian specifically mentioned in that list of things? (laughs) Oh, I mean, I love like the Italian language, so I just threw that in there. Oh, okay. He's not like the worst person I've ever seen, and um, he's kind of taking over for Sean Spicer, so I feel like a lot of people are going to look good in comparison because, as we all know, Spicer just said outrageous things for no particular reason. But he's also, you know, first of all, he's called the Mooch, which I'm going to hold against him. I have yet to find an explanation for this as I'm scrolling through Google. Um, and... He's a Republican, which I know is like a plus for you, but it is a minus for me in this current political climate. Um, Okay, well, he's also Roman Catholic. I mean, again, that's like pretty, pretty neutral for me in terms of like, liking someone. (laughs) I don't, but also, here's my question. What are, where did this guy come from? Like, what, why has he been hired for this position? Because he was... Like, at least with Spicer, like, he was, like, the de- the Republican communications director for forever. Like, we, we could see where he came from, um, unlike most of the people in Trump's administration. Um, but this guy, you know, he's a Wall Street person. Um, he founded an investment firm. Um, he argues a lot on cable television shows. Um, <laughs> apparently, he recently complained that journalists are nosy and they throw eggs. So why put this guy in charge of White House communications? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think... I think he's actually, like, pretty transparent, and he's, I don't know, I feel like he's very self-deprecating in a good way, and doesn't really take himself too, too seriously, like, I don't know, um, but I think he'll add some vibrancy to the White House, the good kind of vibrancy, not the vibrancy that currently exists and is ruining lives, but that's, that's just my hot take. I want to go back to a word that you just used, transparency, because that's kind of the hot topic word with this guy. Um, so basically, um, this guy gets appointed, and with all things, immediately people start digging through his old tweets, 
And basically they find a bunch of tweets that express opinions against Trump's opinions. Um, there's a particular one about him favoring um, stricter gun control that came up a lot. Also just general disapproval of Trump um, as an entity. And so then he got hired by him. And so what, and so he put out this tweet that said, in the interest of transparency, I've deleted some old tweets that no longer reflect my, you know, political opinions. And this raised a lot of questions. It also raised a lot of outrage, you know, as things on Twitter want to do, um, over how could you say you're being transparent by literally pro producing less transparency by deleting old statements? Um, and I feel like I, I have sympathy for this because there is, to a certain extent, like, views change. And when you have things out on the internet, um, they are fixed and you can't go back and, um, like, provide context to them retrospectively um, unless you put, you can, like, you can make statements about it, but people can still find those old things and make their own conclusions. So the only way to really get rid of them is to delete them. Um, on the other hand, there is always the potential that the situation is like, uh, so I got handed a lot of money to do this, and so I'm going to go back and pretend that I never disagreed with this administration. And that's, like, very morally questionable. So what do you think about this whole situation? Um, I kind of think it's cool that he came out and he was just like, yeah, I tweeted some, you know, not so great things about Trump, but... Um, I'm just gonna delete them, but I'm gonna tell everyone anyway, so people don't, I don't know, so people don't call him out for it later. Um, but I think my take is that, yeah, Quinn, like, you're so right, like, once you put something out there with your name on it, it's just like, you can never really get rid of it, um, I mean, okay, even when you delete it, like, it could still show up, you know, because it's in the cloud or the network, I don't even know how technology works, but anyways... Um, my dad always told me that I should never write for my school newspaper because if I ever wanted to run for office, I would not be able to do it, do like run a, like have a clean campaign if somebody found, you know, some newspaper article I wrote when I was 21 that was like very provocative. So he was like, never join the press. And I was like, okay, dad, cool, cool. Um, but yeah, so sorry for that digression. But I think maybe maybe he's just doing it because he wants to be more popular and like he wants this position and so he has to pretend he likes the administration. Maybe he did actually change his views and likes the administration. I like to think that it's a little bit of both. I mean, there's to a certain extent, uh, human brain's capacity for rationalization is astounding. So there is a certain extent that it might be this, this started as a money thing and now I believe it. <laughs> But yeah, there there are old tweets about you know, uh, there was there was one particular one that he tweeted about the Berlin Wall that was like, walls don't work and they never will. Um, first of all, I think it's really sad that he feels the need to delete all of these things, um, because you know they don't totally line up with the president's agenda. And I understand that there's he he put out another tweet that was like the politics of gotcha are over. Um, and yeah, gotcha politics are like pretty tiring and old. And I feel like all of so much going on right now is like people finding old statements and, and inconsistencies with people and being like, ha, ah, gotcha. And it's like, well, so 
We're working with today's policies, you know, not yesterday's opinions. But there's also the extent of, like, if this person is, say, is trying to present this idea of transparency, but he's doing that by trying to delete old views, how much can we trust him um, in this position of communications director? And, I mean, I personally wouldn't trust him anyway because he's Trump's communication director and I trust Trump a negative percent. But, you know, they're like that's that's something to indicate this person in particular may not have the kind of clear communication standards or like um, moral standing standards. Words are hard. It's very late. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Um, that we would want to, for someone in this kind of important position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But also, like, I think some of it's psychological. Like, I... If I tweet something and then I don't really like what I tweeted, I still just delete it because even though like people saw it and people probably took screenshots and it's out there forever, I don't know, it just, for me, it feels like a clean slate and thus my mind is pure even though my reputation may not be. So I think it's more of a psychological thing that he deleted is, um, I think that could be also contribute to the reason why he deleted it. But that's just like completely, you know, off the cuff, very random thought. First of all, who do you think is screenshotting your tweets? Like, I don't think we're that important. <laughs> Fair. You know, just just my future self when I actually start doing things that are relevant. You know, when you run for president. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but... Um, I'll be interested to see how he does in this new position. He's certainly not the most hated person um in this administration i feel like reaction to him um overall has been you know not great from the democrat side you know pretty negative from the democrat side but not this kind of like seething hatred that has resulted from a lot of other positions (laughs) um so that's interesting first of all but i think this whole like issue of these so-called evolving views and transparency has already caused problems for him and i wonder if we're going to see that as a pattern um of him of him trying to cover up old things um or just being willing to um like brush things in the past aside um instead of dealing with them like on, on behalf of himself or like you know the trump administration in general which tends to be a big problem for them already so basically i'll just be interested to see how that goes down and maybe he has just like truly done a 180 um and has totally different views and doesn't want old things representing himself anymore and i certainly wouldn't i feel like the time scale is a little suspect but i don't think like that entire concept in itself is incorrect yeah exactly quinn has just a random question for you um is there anything that you can think off the top of your head where you just had a completely, a complete change your heart and, you know, switch to the other side for something? Not so much. Um, I mean, I definitely have very different political views now than I did when I was, say, um, like 16, because I was raised by Republican parents um, who are like pretty, they're very moderate Republicans, but still, so I, I had a lot more conservative views when I was growing up and when I was a teenager but that was more because I hadn't fully formed my views yet um I think I've shared this anecdote before but 
basically I always my dad listened to conservative talk radio in the car and I always hated it and I didn't know why and then later I learned it's probably because it was conservative talk radio but um (laughs) but I think that in the time I've been a quote-unquote adult um like my views have certainly perhaps become more nuanced in some ways um and stronger um in certain ways but for the most part like haven't done any major 180s what about you do you think you've gone through any big changes yeah I think actually I have especially when I came to college um as everyone knows well as you actually know nobody knows because I'm pretty irrelevant but I went to Catholic school my entire life and we were taught that abortion is the worst thing in the world and it's the worst thing you can do and I think definitely in college while I can't I'm not gonna say I like outright support abortion I do believe that you know Planned Parenthood is like a good idea and I definitely have given the issue a lot more thought Um, and there is you know a lot of gray area between being pro-life and being pro-choice or at least in my opinion so I don't think for me it's a complete 180 but I definitely think that I have been more open to other views and I think if I tweeted something like, oh, like, I hate blah, 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 I would want to delete it, especially if my views, even if they didn't change completely, did change. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say this, like, I am proud of you for that particular evolution of your view and that you were able to take a step back and be like, okay, maybe this was more complicated than my school taught me because Mm -hmm. that's actually that's like really hard the things that were taught growing up are um like really hard to break out of I think a lot of the time oh yeah you have no idea (laughs) yeah catholic school does nothing besides try to instill views into people so that's where I was at (laughs) yay I I love organized religion (laughs) and the way that they affect people's political opinions. (laughs) Yikes. So this is a weird story to talk about in 2017, but what isn't a weird story in 2017? So there was a judge in Tennessee who wanted to help repeat repeat offenders quote unquote, make something of themselves. Um, And what he did is he offered people, if you get a vasectomy or contraceptive implants um so basically if you sterilize yourself i'll take 30 days off of your jail time so um dozens of people have already taken advantage of this offer um and the story came out this week and everyone was like uh that's literally eugenics that's definitionally eugenics what are you doing why are you doing this Yeah, also, I mean, I feel like sterilization is, you know, pretty heavy for just 30 days shorter of a jail term, but that's, that's just my take. I was also thinking that, like, that seems, like, I would have thought that the offer would have been more than that for such an extreme thing. Yeah, like, I could see maybe, maybe like a year at least, but I don't know, for for you to be like, hmm, I want to be in jail for, you know, 30 days less, so I'm just gonna sterilize myself, and yeah, I mean, I guess for the implant for females, it's not as permanent, but still, like, a vasectomy is, that's going hardcore, that's, 
Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, the birth implant would only work it for about four years, um, which is still, like, a really long time to not be able to change your mind about having children, you know? Um, and that, But vasectomies are generally permanent. They can be reversed in some cases, but um, g- generally they're going to be permanent. It would require surgery to reverse them um, regardless of anything else. So it's pretty extreme. Um, and so once everyone got wind of this, the ACLU was like, that's unconstitutional what are you doing that like that completely violates people's constitutional rights yeah so the judge benningfield said that he wanted to issue this order to break the vicious cycle of drug offenders um which is just i don't know that's just such there was an economics paper uh written some years ago and that was actually super controversial controversial because it basically said this the same thing that crime rates in some places have decreased with the availability of birth control because more people started taking it and those people who would have kids who have a higher likelihood or maybe a greater probability of being arrested because they came from say like um low-income backgrounds and things like that and how that actually decreased, you know, um, crime rates, which is just like, it was just such a controversial paper. And some of the stats have been debated, but it's, I don't know, it's along the same lines. Yeah, well, I think that you'll totally agree with me here that um, this situation in particular is just this extreme overreach of government paternalism. Um, And regardless, you know, we, we have these somewhat controversial studies on, on correlations of these kinds and everything, but, like, regardless of any of that data, it's not the government's choice if people have kids or not, and, like, they should not be part of that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. The government should stay out of everyone's uterus. Um. <laughs> Man, if we could manage that, we'd have so many things down. Just... Just get out of the uterus. It's the uteri? The uteruses? Uteri? Interesting. I like uteri. <laughs> I do like uteri. Although it does remind me of, like, a UTI, so, in, Ooh. like, pronunciation. Yeah. Which just brings not, up no very painful connotations. Also, Jillian, I'm studying eugenics in class right now, so can I give a brief history lesson? I'm really excited about it. Oh, Yes, please. Do share. Okay. Um, so I'm going to try to keep this brief and to the point. But to the beginning of this conversation, I said that what's happening here is literally eugenics. Um, and I want to explain what I mean by that. Because um, so eugenics today is this like really bad word, um, as it should be, because today eugenics is um, completely associated with Nazi Germany. And the, but how it got to Nazi Germany was Charles Darwin, um, who, you know, came up with natural selection um, and basically changed the whole way we think about the world. Uh, his cousin, Francis Galton, was like, whoa, these are cool ideas. Um, also, I think we should apply nat- this idea of natural selection to, you know, like humans directing their own evolution. And he actually, he's the one who coined the phrase nature versus nurture in terms of biology, but he thought it was all nature. He thought everything is biologically determined. So he was like, well, if everything's biologically determined, um, if we have like 
quote-unquote better people having more kids and quote-unquote worse people having less or no kids then we as a human race will be better off as a species and like we will evolve towards what we want to evolve which is, i guess is like people being smarter and and stronger and whatever and so this theory for a long time was like trendy and popular and it was considered this progressive theory like mainstream progressive figures were in favor of eugenics because even though it sounds horrible to say now like it, it didn't have that um negative association um because for a long time it was also con- it was like people were espousing positive eugenics which just means encouraging you know like educated people to have children um and stuff like that but then at some a lot of people were also thinking hey let's do negative eugenics which means this kind of thing like ster- like sterilizing people that they think shouldn't have children um and this did eventually progress to this point where it reached Nazi Germany and like there's a very direct link um from this original like um progressive idea that people thought were going to save people thought this was going to save the human race it was like the future of human evolution and it was great um and that reached Nazi Germany and that got twisted into like horrific horrific um genocide and um negative eugenics taken to the extreme and so now we look at that and like wow obviously that was going to end terribly um and so now we look at um this whole idea of like who should and shouldn't have kids and we're like obviously that's going to end terribly um and like if you fall out to it's not a progression of course it ends in like horrible violence because there's always going to be someone who thinks they're better than other people and they should be the arbiter of other people's decisions um otherwise known as like most people think that about other people anyway so <laughs> but i wanted to like bring all of that up um because first of all I'm always like so fascinated by what I'm learning in school and want to tell everyone about it all the time but second of all um and it it, 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 I feel like it just is this really historically salient example of you should always question things um you should always like take things think about what the next step of something is i feel like there's something people don't do a lot now with technology but like people un- unveil like a new aspect of a social media thing and they're like we'll take that to the next step like think about it. you're a bad person what do you do with that next and like people don't think about that before they do things you know like like the snapchat map that put a lot of people in danger because they were public figures and suddenly their location was public and they didn't realize it right away um and so I'm rambling, I'm sorry, but um, I basically am, am, am just driving at the, like, if I was alive in, like, the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, and if I was, like, this, you know, like, trendy liberal progressive, um, and this was the trendy liberal progressive idea of the day, like, would I have believed in eugenics? Would I have thought that was a good idea? And that's really scary to think about, but I think it's something that we should all think about um, and not particularly with that because like I think we can all agree that's bad now um unless you're white supremacist in which case I don't want to talk to you anyway and (laughs) but um applying that to every idea that we come across um and and thinking about like what really is the best decision here not just what is the ideal situation here I think first of all the snapchat thing the update or whatever that that freaks me out so much I hate that I turned it off right away or at least I think I did I hope I did but I don't know 
for me, I don't see you on it. I don't. Oh, you don't? <laughs> yeah, because I turn it off too, but you can still see other people who have it on. But I always see like our other friends and I never see you. So you're good. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I just don't trust anything. I take everything with a grain of salt, which is probably bad. But in some cases, it it's very good. And I just don't trust anything or everything that I read. I always need other sources and things like that. And also just like hearing new ideas, I'm always just like questioning them. And I think ever since I took my libertarian class, like it's just really given me a great new perspective on how to analyze things from a libertarian economics point of view. And I think that's definitely helped me come to terms with views on both sides and, you know, sort of develop my own opinions instead of going along with the flow. This is something that we've um, talked a little bit about before, I think. But do you think that there's any um, extent to which libertarianism in itself is kind of holding this ideal version of, you know, the economy and our society as opposed to like dealing with the way that things actually are? Oh, I mean, it's completely based on theory. Like the whole the whole argument is that people are rational. So it's just like, well, <laughs> are they, though? So a lot of the, what we learn is theory, but it's just a cool way of approaching it. Um, I do think, however, though, that libertarians do realize that the world is not perfect and that their libertarian ideal is never really going to work. But I still think that they do their best to try to incorporate lessons from that into what we have. So, you know, just trying to make it work with what we got. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's never going to be libertarian land. So that's that's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. That'd be a fun TV show. Libertarian land. Put 12 <laughs> people on an island and mm -hmm. see if they can build a libertarian utopia. <laughs> I feel like it would turn into the Hunger Games or something very dark really quickly. Yeah. Now, I know that you're not a politician, and I don't think you're ever planning on being one. Um, but if Oh, you... absolutely not. Yeah, no, it sounds horrible. But if you were going to run like as a libertarian candidate for some position... Um, can you think of any particular libertarian values that you would want to try to bring forward into the real world and like, or taxation you... is theft, get rid of taxes. Um. <laughs> okay. Like we've talked about this so much, but you do realize that like we need taxes or we don't have a society. <laughs> okay. This is the thing. This is the thing. I would, I would be okay Okay, so this is actually a very controversial thought, and this is actually, like, really liberal of me, but you know how everyone, how there's an argument for everyone should be allowed, like, a base income? Yeah. I would be fine with that in addition to just one, like, tax. I don't care if it's, like, 40% or 30% or whatever, as long as it's a flat tax and... I don't have to pay any other taxes. Like, I just don't like the tax system and how it creates so many distortions and there's just so many loopholes. Like, I just don't understand why things can't be more straightforward. So that's what I would try to bring to the table. Wait, I'm so interested in this now. Okay, so you're, um, in theory, behind the general idea of a universal basic income, but with the condition that, like, everyone gets the same income but everyone is taxed the same as well? Yes. Well, this, this, I'm just thinking about, like, how that would work in practicality. Wouldn't that mean just, like, ev everyone just, like, receives the same income and there's no tax? Because if everyone's going to be taxed the same, the government could just, like, not give that money to them. 
Wait, what do you mean? So, like, if everyone's... I'm just going to make up some numbers um, that obviously, like, aren't realistic at all. But say, like, you give... Everyone's getting a universal basic income of $20,000 a year, but $5,000 of it is taxed. So wouldn't everyone just be getting an income of $15,000 a year? I mean, yeah, but the incentive is that you can't... If you if you want to live well, you're going to want to make more money. It's just like a basis point. It's just like a starting point. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, I'm in general theory i think concept behind the idea of universal basic income um i think that with the way automation is going like it might be kind of the best option um in a lot of ways because like there's it's likely not not saying inevitable but likely we're gonna have massive unemployment because of automation um so i'm also like down um in general for that idea and then you know like people can do other jobs that haven't been taken by the machines if they want to make more money um and i think that if if it's sustainable um because you know like the machines are so efficient they're making so much gdp like i think that's a pretty good idea Mm -hmm. i am so for a universal basic income as long as we eliminated all redistribution but um like with by using that so we would have it would, it would be so much more efficient. It would create less distortions. It's just, it's just a lot more straightforward. But the, the problem with it that people have is that if we did allow this to pass or if we try to make this pass in the world that we live today, it would probably be added to everything else that we already have, which is no bueno. So in a perfect world, though, I am definitely for universal basic income with a negative income tax or whatever. So that's, that's what I would definitely want to suggest as a libertarian politician but it wouldn't really make a difference because libertarians are never going to have any huge say in the white house so it's not really worth my time thinking about it but yeah i mean i think i think that's just one of my ideas that is like surprises me because it's like super liberal but when i look at it from a libertarian economics perspective i'm like oh hey this could work I am fascinated right now that we seem to have come up with this, like, cross-libertarian liberal utopia. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying any of this is realistic because the world sucks, but I feel, like, pretty behind a lot of the stuff that you're saying now in theory. Thank you. Thank you. I can, I can envision this. So, like, here, here's my general idea. All the machines are doing all of the actual work. I'm just going to link Humans Need Not Apply, the CGP Grey video, um, in the description because it'll make you terrified, but it's a really interesting uh, mini documentary about this topic. Anyway, so uh, machines do all the work, generate all the GDP and everything that, so, you know, the country is rich enough to supply everyone with a base income but the base income would have to depend on where they live though it couldn't be nationally standard i mean i guess so there would have to be some amount of like there just has to be variation like you can't give someone living in new york the same money you're giving to someone who lives in missoula montana you know like that's just that's ludicrous um so there has to be some variation based on where the the cost of living where you live but assuming those calculations are done well which haha but if those calculations are actually done well and everyone like has this base amount and everyone's like living basically the same standard of of life um and then you can also do like you know make podcasts for extra money (laughs) or or, you know like i feel like there'll be a lot of artistry in that kind of society um and other 
things like that um, where people can do to make extra money. Um, and then, you know, you can save up and buy a boat or something. I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> I was just making sure that you weren't asking me something. But yes, I see, Queen, sometimes libertarian land is a great place to be. I think libertarian land sounds like a great place to be. I just don't think it's just ever going to exist sigh yeah there is that small you know caveat that, that little detail <laughs> okay you want to talk a little bit about shoes oh yes definitely so let's talk about fashion um actually when i was little i wanted to be a fashion designer which is just like really funny considering what i'm doing now is probably the complete opposite since it sucks out of all creativity out of everything but anyways um, so pretty much Michael Kors just bought Jimmy Choo for about, what, like $1.2 billion or $2.1 billion. Uh, Michael Kors is a middle market luxury designer. They make bags, watches, and Jimmy Choo is like a very upscale shoe luxury brand. So retail has been hit super hard lately because of the whole Amazon concept and the fact that it seems to be that there are two extremes now in the market. It's like the super, super high end stuff and then the super, super like cheap stuff so that you can get off of Amazon or Forever 21 or wherever you want to go. And Michael Kors has built itself as this sort of accessible middle market player that can attract, you know, both high end and low, lower end. But now that people are more interested in either in, in one of the two extremes, it's sort of lost its place in the market. So it's been struggling lately. The stock has been down like super low year to date. And it's just like really interesting to see how retail is trying to recover. But it's just it, it, I, I don't know. Um, it's it's definitely interesting to watch. I guess, Quinn, what's your hot take on Michael Kors? Yeah, well, a couple of points. Um, one, keep in mind that when we say Michael Kors is like more middle of the road, that still means like $80 a bag. Um, so this is like middle class, higher middle class. Um, but, you know, there's still a big jump between that and like the $1,000 shoes that Jimmy Choose is putting out. Um, so that's an important distinction. And then um, also, I feel like somehow, I don't, I haven't seen these hot takes yet, but like, I'm sure by tomorrow there'll be an article about how millennials are killing department stores again. Um, millennials are mass murderers, and we will destroy every traditional form of um, consumption, but also we aren't allowed to buy houses because we spend all our money, question mark? Anyway, so... Um, but to the main question of this, I feel like... Actually, this is going to make me sound like a millennial. It's so hard for me to care... <laughs> It's so hard for me to care about like the Michael Kors company um, because like intellectually I understand that, you know, this is a, a company that employs people and is part of the economy and that's important and like these, it's it's important for these jobs to be sustained um, and everything. But also I'm like, I've never bought an, a Michael Kors bag. I don't think I'm ever really going to. They're not, I'm not a fashion person, so I'm not really invested um, in anything like that. And some people are, and that's cool. But, like, I've never – I usually buy what's cheapest. <laughs> so I'm not their market consumer. Um, and so while I think this 
uh, issue is important intellectually. Um, and I think it's uh, a cool topic to discuss. Um, and I'm sure it matters quite a lot to their shareholders. For me in my personal life, like it's not going to affect me if Michael Kors goes out of business. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I used to be really into Michael Kors in high school. Like I had Michael Kors watches and it was just, it was actually kind of gross and I kind of hate myself for it. Um, I still actually have a Michael Kors bag that I bring to work and a Michael Kors wallet, but. Oh my God, that's adorable. You have a matching bag and wallet. Okay, they're different colors. I didn't buy them together, I swear. (laughs) Um, But I guess it's just interesting because not only has Michael Kors had this problem, Tiffany has had this problem. And it's just interesting, like Tiffany the jewelry store, um, because they started trying to be more accessible. And thus, by becoming accessible, they they lost their niche market of people who really wanted the high end, expensive engagement rings. So it's just sort of a question like if you try to be popular among everyone, you end up losing friends or whatever in the long run, which I just think is a unique concept, especially in retail. Yeah, I feel like that was a particularly bad choice for Tiffany's because they have some of the best high-end niche branding of all time. Like, who doesn't know the blue box of Tiffany's? Mm-hmm. Also, one time I walked past the Tiffany's in Boston. I had an entire conversation with a friend about whether or not if I went into the store, they would kick me out, <laughs> like, based on what I was wearing. What were you wearing? I was just wearing, I was wearing, like, a kind of nice shirt and jeans, um, and I was wearing my combat boots, Um but he said I would be because I, I, I mean, not kicked out, but like politely asked to leave um, because I was wearing like Walmart jewelry. And so they would be able to recognize that I wasn't going to buy anything. Well, I'm glad we didn't have to test that theory. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually go in. I just kind of looked at it from the side. But yeah, um, do you think that it's bad that these kinds of businesses are struggling and or potentially going out of business? I'm not sure if it's bad other than like obviously from an economics point of view, but in general, like for the general consumer, is it bad? Um, I mean, I don't really know. I think it's just an indication that tastes are changing and millennials especially, it's more of the concept of go big or go home, right? Like you either buy the cheapest thing or you want the $70,000 Chanel bag, right? So it's it's just interesting how as times are changing and as we're evolving as consumers, we're less attracted to the middle general market and we want to explore the ends of the spectrum. So I don't really have a solid definitive opinion on this. I just think it's going to be really interesting to follow, especially since retail brand turnarounds are super hard to pull off. And I don't know if Jimmy Choo and Michael Kors can merge as smoothly as everyone wants them to just because there's probably a lot of cultural differences in terms of you know like work culture right so it's it's just gonna be interesting to watch I think I don't know this is just me speculating um but it seems likely this is related to this whole kind of squeezing out of the middle class that some people are pretty worried about um like is the United States losing its middle class um, and we're just just with increasing income inequality it's just kind of like upper class and lower class and we're kind of losing the middle section um I mean I think that's super interesting and maybe possibly I would definitely have to look more into it and I 
doing economic research on this would actually be really cool. Um, <laughs> I want a 10-page paper by Monday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Sorry, flashbacks. I mean, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I honestly can't. The only thing that comes to mind right now is just the expression, go big or go home, right? Like, it's not nothing too substantial or significant, but I, I want to know what your thoughts on this are. I don't know, because, um, like I said, it's something I'm just speculating about, and I haven't done my own research on, like, is this a, is this a real concern that we have, you know, the disappearance of the middle class, or is this a kind of alarmist thinking? Um, I don't know. I, I think it would be a problem if um, it is true, definitely, because, first of all, income inequality is, is already really bad in the United States, um, and there's data that supports the theory that... Uh, like greater income inequality just leads to worse quality of life and um, a worse off country overall. Um, not for the super rich people, obviously, but for like most people. Um, and I feel like the United States has always been kind of obsessed with its middle class. Like you get this sense that everyone's kind of trying for the most part to appeal to this like mysterious middle class 2.5 suburban person. I, I meant 2.5 kids. I forgot a word. <laughs> this person is 2.5 years old. Um, anyway. And, and yeah, I, I feel like they probably are, um, like, this, this income class is probably a whole lot of the retail base of the United States because um, they can afford to buy things, but they're going to still buy things that aren't, you know, like, Ferraris. What do rich people buy? I don't know. Yachts? <laughs> yeah. Um, yachts, planes, really expensive watches, you know, the, the usual. God, I really, I, I'd like a really expensive watch, but I know I'd break it. <laughs> uh, I love watches. I almost bought a watch the other day, but I couldn't find one for under 20 pounds, and, like, that was literally my limit. I was like, I can't afford more than that. <laughs> when you said pounds, I thought, like you know, weight, and I was like, well, I hope your watch would be less than 20 pounds. Sorry, I'm British now, didn't you, didn't you notice? I got, I got all the slang, I got all their terms. You mean the name of their currency? <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I guess something that is actually becoming more accessible to the middle class or to middle income or whatever because it's just becoming so ingrained into our society is plastic surgery and I think over the years plastic surgery has or was super taboo but I think now especially with celebrities talking about it and being more transparent about it I think that plastic surgery is less frowned upon and I think that it's definitely playing a bigger role in culture, which is why I want to talk about this new plastic surgery thing called designer dimples, where you pay like someone to slice holes into your face. So when you smile or something, it gives you the appearance of dimples. Like who, what? I, I'm shook right now. I am shook. This is this reminds me of also the tattooing freckles trend. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. I I did see that. Yes. That was just that was wild. I mean, I think that trend is still happening, but like tattooing freckles on your face, I'm like that's so permanent. 
That stresses me out to think about. Yeah, it's so funny, too, because at least when I was in middle school, nobody wanted freckles. Like, everyone wanted, like, smooth, like, flawless, whatever skin where you couldn't see any of your pores, blah, blah, blah. But now freckles are making a comeback, which is cool because I get freckles in the summer. Aw. When I was a kid, I always wanted red hair and freckles. I just wanted those. I want to be a little ginger kid. I... I'm not, I actually, <laughs> this was a topic of conversation um, when I was a kid and like, I just remembered it, but kind of still now, I guess, is when I would think about like who I would want to have children with later in life, being a redhead was an important factor because I do have some recessive genes for red hair because my dad has like a red beard. <laughs> and so I'm like, give me those redheaded jeans. I need them. I want little redheaded babies. Anyway, I'm digressing really far. It's okay. Um, anyway, so personally, I think people should be able to get plastic surgery if they want to get plastic surgery. Like it's your body. You can do what you want with it. Um, as long as you're not harming yourself or others, like go wild. Um, this one in particular freaks me out just because I feel like it could go so horribly wrong. It seems kind of... Because this is this is like new, right? This isn't just a trend. This seems like a pretty new kind of thing that people are doing, period. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had never heard of this or even thought about it until I read this article. I mean, dimples are cool. Um, I guess, but it just, but also the other thing in the article that struck me is they only last for a couple months and, and I guess that's good in a way because, you know, then if it's not trendy in a couple months and you decide you don't want dimples again, like you don't get them again, but then also like if you do want them again, then you're continually putting, um, you know, like affecting your face like this if you want to get them back, um, which seems like it could be harmful long-term. Um, and also it's probably pretty expensive. Like I won't even go get my hair dyed at the salon anymore because it's too expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Like why would you spend $2,500 on a procedure that's going to go away or that's going to be irrelevant in three months? Like it's just, it seems, do you know how many like Michael Kors bags you can buy with that (laughs) instead? Like (laughs) buy yourself a nice purse. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I guess this is. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I agree with you, Quinn. Like, I think plastic surgery is cool. And I think it's awesome that people do have this option. Um, I think the whole point of it, though, is that, or at least my take on plastic surgery, is that it's never going to fix your problems. Like, say, like, if you do have problems or self-esteem issues, it's not going to get rid of that. But I think if it does make you feel better about yourself, then go for it. Um, but just, you know, keep in mind that plastic surgery isn't the end-all be-all and it's not necessarily going to be the solution that fi- that fixes everything, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And there, there's a balance there because, um, I mean, if you have, like, serious issues with yourself, then, yeah, like, external procedures aren't going to fix that. But on the other hand, like, if you... Um, uh, if there's one part of your body that you're particularly insecure about and then you can get that fixed cosmetically, um, that, and then like, you're probably going to feel a lot better about yourself afterwards if that's the choice that you want to make with that. I mean, I think that no one, I, I want everyone to like be comfortable in themselves and to love their selves and their bodies um, because that's, 
just like a, a nice way to live but no one's obligated to feel good about themselves sometimes there's like stuff about yourself that you just don't like and if you want to fix that and you can and I don't think there's anything wrong with that um and I, I feel this in particular because you know people say like physical changes not not like you because you didn't just say this but like some people are like you know you like everything has to be fixed internally and all that um but I have definitely like um like I got a navel piercing um and I dyed my hair pink and like these things make me feel better about myself because I love them and I love seeing myself in the mirror and I just like feel more confident and so I I have like a lot of faith in this idea of if there's something you want to change about yourself and you can then like you should feel free to do so Mm-hmm. definitely I think the only thing now that's super taboo is some procedures where it doesn't necessarily make you better but it makes you look more in quotes western like oh my god this is this is getting a little personal but um I only ever considered or like remotely considered one plastic surgery operation and like a lot of Asians get it it's called double eyelid surgery and it basically makes your eyes look bigger um because I read a book on it like when I was like super young and I was like oh like this is interesting like I want to learn more about it and it's like a super common procedure um in Asia especially in South Korea like it's not even considered or it's not even viewed as plastic surgery anymore because literally everyone gets it done but I think that definitely introduces this question of is plastic surgery good per se if it actually ends up changing some of the features that you were born with in order to create a more whitewashed um or attain a more whitewashed standard of beauty yeah because that entire conversation gets into like the really western centric ideal of beauty that we have because like all different cultures have all of these different ideas of beauty and then kind of white european um ideals of beauty took over a lot of the world um you know with our like look at all our television shows and movies in Hollywood, aren't we beautiful? And now suddenly, not suddenly, but like now these ideals of um, Caucasian European beauty or like everyone's ideals of beauty, um, which is really sad in a lot of ways because there are very few people who meet those ideals and there are like, especially, you know, if you're not white, like that's just not, like people have physical differences. Um, and I think it's terrible that people are made to feel like they aren't good enough just because they're like th- this outside um, standard of arbitrary beauty is instilled upon them. It's just, it's sad. You're beautiful just the way you are, Julian. Aw, thanks, Quinn. Um, yeah, so I did not get the surgery and I'm not going to get the surgery, but I just think it's, it, it's definitely an interesting topic. A brief note to end this on, because I think this is interesting, is um, I'll say for me personally, it's a thing that like helps me feel good about myself and then also it kind of widen my view of what beauty means is j- literally just to be exposed to different forms of beauty. And for me, that t- came in the form of watching YouTubers is I noticed a, a significant difference in the way that I thought about beauty and myself um, when I started watching a lot of people on YouTube had a lot of different body types. Um, and so I think that's an important thing. And like, um, if you can, I think it is cool to like seek out these things, you know, on social media and to expose yourself to different, um, uh, like 
people and shapes and colors and all these kinds of things because that really does help your brain um, break out of one standard of what people should look like. Mm-hmm. Even Kendrick Lamar in his song Humble said that he was sick of all seeing all these perfect uh, photoshopped people on Instagram because it's, you know, I think it's important to sort of realize that there are so many different forms of beauty and it's not just this one sort of ideal that we have to achieve. It's just, I don't know, Kendrick Lamar is dope. Listen to his songs. <laughs> Uh, I love you and your love for rap and hip hop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, me too. So on that note, um, I think that's all we have for today. But before we wrap up, uh, I want to take a minute to talk about membership. So I don't think we've actually ever talked about membership on this show. But um, as you know, we're part of the Relay FM network. It's a really great place. I we love being here and having our show here Um, and Really FM has memberships and so people can choose to support the shows that they love um, and this support really goes directly to the hosts and the production of these shows and keeps them going and it, it actually is like really important um, <laughs> and actually like for me personally sustains my um, creative habits and making this show and, and making my other creative projects and everything so um, personal pitch there but but basically, membership starts at $5 a month, um, and there are a couple different tiers of it, but you get the same benefits at every tier. Um, and so for that amount of money, you can choose to directly support a show. So if you really loved us, you could choose to directly support Mixed Feelings, and the majority of that money will go directly to us, which if you do that, you're like the coolest person in the world, and I can't believe you do that. <laughs> um, you can also choose to just support Relay in general. Um, and no matter what you do, what tier, which shows you choose to support, you get access to a monthly behind the scenes newsletter. Um, you get previews of upcoming shows, a preview for this show, um, way back in November actually went out, um, on this like members only feed before the actual show premiered. You also get access to a members only podcast, which is hosted by Stephen Hackett, who's one of the coolest people ever. Um, And so he interviews two hosts every month about a big topic. And I was also, I was on that show um, a few months back. So if you're not a member, you can become one and like hear me talk about nerd conventions is actually what I was talking about. (laughs) Um, um, But perhaps the biggest benefit of this is you get access to this giant bonus feed of special episodes every August. Um, So this is why I'm talking about this. August is our anniversary month. We're going into the third anniversary of Relay FM, which is super cool. And this is the first August that this show has been on Relay. So this is the first time we're doing this. I'm pretty excited. And so we're going to have a special bonus episode in this members feed. Um, So we're going to be talking about this a little bit more over the next few weeks um, and telling you about, you know, what our special bonus episode is going to be about and all that stuff. So definitely keep your ears open for more information about that oncoming. But um, also every show on the network is going to put out a bonus episode during the month of August. It's super fun. Last year I was actually, um, I was a Relay FM subscriber, but not host. And I loved all of the bonus episodes. Just, I, I was a purely objective party back then and they were all amazing. So I hope we can hold up to that. <laughs> um. So if you want to show your support for this show, all of Relay FM, whatever you want to do, um, you can go to relay.fm slash mixedfeelings and sign up to be a member or just at relay.fm slash membership and check out 
um, all of the options there. Thank all of you for supporting the show um, and listening to it and just being a part of what makes this whole network so awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so I'll be giving uh, shorter versions of that probably throughout the month of August and giving you more details on our bonus episodes. It's going to be great. Membership Drive, it's super fun. And on that note, um, if you want to find this show, uh, you can find us on Twitter at MixedFeelingsFM. You can also find us at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings, where if you know if you have feedback, there's contact form there. You can send us an email. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Julian Parker. Thanks for talking with me today, Quinn. Thank you for talking with me. Oh, it's a pleasure, and I miss you, and please come back to the United States soon. Oh, I'm coming back soon. I miss you, and I love you. Okay, good, good. Um, I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings. <laughs>